we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, folks, we are going to talk about the adaptive capacity model. Ron, long time, man. I know. I can't believe this. I'm totally out of sync. <laughs> but, it was, it was hard to keep... Yeah, this is this is our first live episode in the sixth year of this show. I know. Episode 250. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, I, you know, you know, that's a we, lot of episodes, man. <laughs> and when we started in, on July 4th in 2014, did you ever think we'd we'd make six years? <laughs> Heck no. I was, I was just, I was sweating trying to make it through the first 13 weeks. Yeah. The first, the first, the first segment of the first show. The first show. Exactly. Exactly. I don't, you know, we didn't even have the Reagan quote then. No, we didn't get that until, was that even, did that come in the first year or the second? I think it was late in the first year. It might've been after, we'll have to, I have to go listen to when the first time we brought the Reagan quote in. Yeah, because we, we posted on it in the show notes. We posted the link to the entire talk where it came from. But yeah, right. I don't remember when we did it. But yeah, it's absolutely wild to think about that. No, and and I've been totally off since you know we we we've not we did didn't, didn't do a live show two weeks ago. And last week, we, of course, we reran Gilder, which got a great listen last week so thank you guys for for that again and hope hope that those of you that missed that the first time around in august of last year were able to benefit from the gilder episode but yeah i was on on vacation with the fam ron and in went to grand canyon and some other places in arizona where our voice america studios are i didn't get a chance to stop by since it was the the weekend mostly so that i was in phoenix Right. And I meant to ask you about that, Ed. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but for the last either two or three years, you've been vacationing in the neutral zone. And I want to know <laughs> if I should know something. Uh, yeah, sounds about right. Um, and for those of you who don't pick up the reference, it's a man in the high castle reference. Uh, I, ha I have my bunkers. <laughs> really I mean, you know, well, you're, you're in the GNR. And I'm here in the GPS, so I yeah, just, yeah. you know. Well, the neutral zone. No, it's true. That's true. Very true. But I, I did have a great quick story now that you reminded me about this. One of the places we went was Meteor Crater, mm -hmm. which was a, a crater that was established 50,000 years ago by a, a meteorite that came in and went into the desert, right? Conveniently located, by the way, between two interstates. So it was really nice that the location yeah. was picked properly. Yeah. yeah. It makes it easy <laughs> for tourism. But exactly. Well, which is the funny story, which the, when they first, of course, put this out, it was only Route 66, with the, which at the time was just a dirt road. Right. 
two ways in Arizona, right? And and it was still far away enough from the crater that there was a problem, but people wanted to use it for tourism. So the the, the question, of course, that, that we, or my, I as a libertarian often get is who will build the roads? Roads, yep, sure. Right? And you know what the answer was? The people who wanted to do the tourism. Guess what they did, Ron? They built the road. <laughs> built it themselves. Holy cow. You mean actual people built roads? Yeah. <laughs> they built the roads. Because, you know, if we didn't have roads, there would be farmers like standing in the middle of nowhere going, man, I really wish there were road. roads. I yeah. could sell my crops. But since there's not, I guess I'll just eat what I have. <laughs> Sorry. Well, that's this too funny. Well, to what, as you were vacationing, I was binging on the third season of The Man in the High Castle. And I, I have to tell you, when you watch it again for the second time, you pick up so many little things that you might have missed or, you know, weren't fully cognizant of when you watched yeah. it the first time. It was really, really well done. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great show. Looking forward to supposedly coming out in uh, fall. The last season. I'm kind of bummed about that, but excited to see how they're going to wrap this up. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Definitely going to be interesting. That's too good. All right. Well, let's let's get to the topic at hand, Ron, which is which is this thing called the adaptive capacity model. And I was introduced this at one of your first presentations that I was sitting through a long, long time ago. And so you had already had it, you know, as part of your toolkit before you even knew me. And that's like, what, 2004 or so, 2005. Right. So what was, what was the, what's the origin story behind this adaptive capacity model? Because if you look it up, like there's, it's nowhere else. Like there's no like uh, Wikipedia entry, although perhaps there should be on adaptive capacity model, but it's a great name. It should have a Wikipedia entry. It's, it's really one of the things I'm kind of proud of, but it, it basically, Ed, the origin is spending too much time on airplanes. <laughs> and and just, you know, especially when you fly sometimes, you know, the same route and, and you uh-huh. realize, what why is there a 777 on this route at this time and there's a, you know, A320 at, the, at these times? Mm. And, and it don't, and, and, you know, the whole value pricing thing because of the four defenses of timesheets always brings up, you know, project management and, and profitability per job. And that's, that gets you right into realization, but it also gets you into utilization and always knowing the capacity is a big issue. You got to have the capacity to be able to service your clients at, at, at the level that you need to, but I sitting on airplanes really makes you think about, well, wait a minute, they have capacity and they have a very finite capacity. You can't inventory seats. And yet some of these seats sit empty as we take off. Sometimes the plane's completely full. These guys are managing their capacity quite actively, quite sophisticatedly. I didn't understand all the ins and outs. I was just starting to study yield management. I said, they, they have this adaptive, you know, and that's where the that's kind of where the, the term came from. They said they have an adaptive capacity model because they can put different size planes on their routes and pull pull routes completely. Why can't a firm do that? And why can't a and and even just as important, how come a firm doesn't think of it in as different classes of that capacity? You know, they've got the Priceline customers, but they've got the first class customers. Why don't any professional firms offer these different types of classes, which was an early way of getting to choices. 
Right. So it's definitely got a relationship to to the pricing of choices, which I think we should we should talk about. But but it's really beyond that because it's almost looking at it from the supply side first rather than the demand side. Is that a fair way to assess it? Yeah, it's it's I think it's an interesting combination of both. Obviously the the price is is the demand side, but you as a firm make those supply side decisions about how you're going to split that capacity up. You know, first off, how much capacity are you, are you going to allocate to to serving customers and then how are you going to break that up? Because, you know, ultimately the price is determined by the value as perceived by the customer, not not where we are with our capacity. I, you know, I understand the point that if you're really busy and you're busting at the seams, raise your prices. That That's definitely true. But let's face it, the price comes from the value that you're offering. And you shouldn't have to wait till you're busting at the seams to, to raise your prices if your value isn't in line. Well, and I think that the the important part, and that we'll we'll talk a lot about this because there's a lot of ways to think about this plane. Usually, and we'll we'll put a link up to the graphic if we haven't. I'm sure it's been in previous episodes, but it has. Yeah, yeah. But so those of you who are hearing us talk about this adaptive capacity for the first time, what I want you to envision is if you're looking down over the top of a of a an airline plane. Let's call. I think the the plane that we show is a triple seven. Is that right, Ron? That's right. Right, it's a configured triple seven, and you're looking down on it, and you see that the, the the seat map would show that there are a certain amount of seats in first class. There's the the business class or or, or coach, let's say, and then there are also, of course, seats in the way back, which are coach seats. But even with American Airlines that I fly right now, now Ron, that they have the, even in coach, they have extra room in coach up front. So it's sort of like this bridge between first class and and full on coach you get six sure. six extra extra inches of leg room if you sit in the first couple of rows and those those seats are of course reserved for either frequent flyers or people who want to pay more when they book the ticket right right so they've actually created a a a, a, a third choice in there among many but so that that's what you're looking at and one of the things that you always will we talk about uh, and Ron again I'll give you credit on this is the decision of of where you want to put your bulkheads right, right. where you want to where you want to divide those classes and let me ask you this as we, we've got a couple minutes before we go to the break would you say that if you're looking, if you're you're hearing this model for the first time, would you try to sit your current customers on the plane and determine where they are right now, or would you say forget about that and say where do you want those the, those bulkheads to be? Where do how do you want to divide that plane? <laughs> I do. I would do both. I, I I would I would think about that both ways because I, you know, we always talk about grading customers and you should know an A from a B, C and all of that. And, and I'd fill out the plane for your existing customers, but I also want firms to think about how, how many seats can you handle in a first class? Because that really makes them think about what is a first class offering? A lot of firms haven't even given that a thought, but what does it mean to fly first class in your firm? I know what it means to fly first class on United or American Express, right? I get the board early, my luggage comes up, I get priority bookings, I get priority upgrades. You know, there's a whole host of, of benefits that we get, right? Being frequent flyers. What is it for your firm? And what's the difference between first class and a business class and a full fare coach seat? And Dan's the one that had this graphic made 
Um, and Dan he, Morris, Dan Morris, and he's the one that also used to pull it out of his desk drawer during his value conversation with customers and slide it across the table and say, Ed, where do you want to sit in our plane? And it was kind of a disarming question because it kind of put the onus on the customer to make a choice. I, you know, I want to sit in the middle or I'd like to sit in front, but hey, this is a tough year. I can only afford the middle. But it made them think about it. But it also made his firm think about what are the different offerings. If you're sitting in front and you call, chances are you're going to get a response within five minutes from somebody from his firm. And that's that's sort of, sort of where it, it evolved into the conversation around access level agreements, right? And developing those different those different offerings or choices, as we we prefer to say, upfront. Absolutely. Yep, and it makes you think about the pricing and the and the bundles that you're going to put together. And that, of course, I wasn't thinking about this this at the time, but this this coincides so well with the subscription business model because it's it's kind of looking at the entire portfolio of the customers inside that plane, that capacity. No, that's a great point too. And we'll we'll have more on that after our break. We, we've got a lot to say about this model. This is one of the more fascinating conversations that we have during any of our presentations, this adaptive capacity model. But we want to remind you right now that you can contact Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, at asktsoe or hashtag ESG. Ask TSOE, I'm sorry, we'll get you on the Twitter and we do monitor that live during the show. So if you do have a question for us about this episode while you're listening to it live, and that's between uh, one and two uh, if you're in Pacific and four and five if you're in the East Coast, please go ahead out to Twitter and ask that question. But right now, a word from our sponsor. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. 
Well, welcome back, everybody. On our 250th show, we're talking about the adaptive capacity model. And one of the things that we always talk about when we discuss this, Ed, is this idea of there's a maximum capacity of every firm and there's a theoretical optimal capacity. And of course, the maximum capacity is the total number of customers your firm can adequately service. It's not necessarily how many hours you have, but the total number of actual customers that you can serve. But your optimal capacity, and this is kind of an engineering-derived definition, but it, optimal capacity is that point at which customers can be served adequately while maintaining your competitive advantage and pricing integrity. Mm. So if your competitive advantage is to always be available, even if it's just for a certain class of customer, that means you always have to have reserve capacity, right? Just like Marriott never wants to turn away a platinum customer or American Airlines would never want to turn you away um, from a flight. They're going to find room for you, even if they have to bribe somebody off. Um, that's, that's part of the competitive advantage. That's what that means. And the price in maintaining your pricing integrity, and this is something that used to bug me all the time about firms, especially in their non-peak seasons, <clears throat> they would say, well, we need just to get work in the door. So we're going to go after maybe off-season work. It could be nonprofits or whatever if you're an accounting firm. But then they, they'll slash the prices, sometimes pretty steep, 20, 30, 40. I've seen even over 50% just to get work in the door to keep people busy. Now, of course, that's a viable strategy. It's using price to kind of manage your demand. But the problem is you're degrading your pricing integrity when you're doing that. And you're, you're, you're educating your customers to kind of wait until your non-peak season to do things. It's kind of like training them to wait for your, you know, end of the quarter or end of the year discount. Gee, what industry does that, Ron? I don't know. <laughs> You know, what's that great line? It's only noon. The quarter's not even over yet. Yeah, Oracle joke. Yeah. <laughs> the year. The year's not even over yet. It's right. only noon on the last day. The year's only half over. Um, but and and what you bring up is a really interesting concept. And and I think we can talk more about this perhaps in a future segment. But with the, when you when you bring this analogy in, there's lots of additions you could make. So do it do you look at it just as one plane? Do you look at it as each individual professional ha ha is a plane do you look at each project as a plane is the firm a plane can you bring up multiple planes so let we'll get we'll get to that later but what what i was reminded of ron when i did, was doing some research for, for today's show on this was something that you said in a blog post about this a long time ago and you had brought up david maester in i think his book true professionalism mm -hmm. has a, a a two two question test for every professional firm that he suggests that you run. And the first question is, what, what, what is, divide the work that you do into three groups of things. I love doing this work. I can tolerate this work. I hate this work, right? right. And what percentage of your time would you allocate or is the reality that, oh yeah, I love this. I can tolerate it. I hate it, right? And no, I'm not suggesting you do a timesheet, by the way, Ron. I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't need a timesheet. You don't need a timesheet to do yeah. that. You don't need a timesheet to do that. All right. And then the second question is, is look at your customers and ask yourself this question. 
I love this customer. I tolerate this customer. I don't like this customer. All right. I'll, I won't say hate this customer. It's a little bit strong for people. All right. <clears throat> but I, I love it. I tolerate it. It's I, I dislike it. And then again, put your percentages of the, the, the percent of customers that you have. What he was finding is that most professionals end up in the 50 to 80% both tolerate and dislike on both of those. Right. And he thought, what in blazes is going on? Yeah, that's <laughs> right? four days a week. Yeah. Of doing, t- at best, tolerable stuff for tolerable people. Yep. That we're kind of indifferent about. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and to me, the, the adaptive capacity model is the antidote to that situation or is one of the antidotes, I should say, to that situation by deciding, you know, where, where are you going to put those bulkheads and what percentage of people do you want flying in each of those different classes and what customers are you trying to attract, right? It's another way of looking at A, B and C level customers, of course, but, but this, this I think really helps us. And then when you say, oh, let's overlay that against what is a first class experience supposed to look like? Well, that again is also the, you get to decide what is the really cool stuff that the, the stuff that you love to do that might sit in that high level, that, that highest class of people. Yep. Right. And when you align those things together, that's where I think you can begin to create a great adaptive model for your organization. What, and what I love about this is that it, the adaptive capacity model itself is adaptive in that it works if you're a sole prop, if you works if you're a small firm, and I think it rolls all the way up to like even you know a, 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 a top big four. Right. No, it, it makes you think about how you're going to allocate that capacity to serve because we take it for as as a given that you're going to have you know the cheaper customers towards the back of the plane. We're not saying get rid of all of those. What we're it, it's a recognition that yes, but once those back seats are filled we're not going to add more capacity to 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 attract customers like that and that that was the big insight to me is like there's no airline in the world that's going to put a bigger plane on a route to service more coach customers now they'll do it all day for first class and business class or maybe full fare coach but they're not going to do it to get more priceline customers and, you know, our late colleague, Paul O'Byrne, used to joke that if, if accountants ran airlines, the, the second story on the 747 would be in the back of the plane. But it's, there's a reason it's not. It's in the front of the plane because it's, it's housing more of the type of customers you want, those high-value customers. And what I love about the plane model, too, Ron, is that it, it has a tie-in to project management from a quality standpoint, right? And, and that is everyone on that plane gets the, the same, well, I, I don't want to say basic, but they get, 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 gets ultimately the same service, which is to fly safely yep. right, from, from city A to city B. It's not like the people in first class don't, you know, get, get that. And the people in, you know, in, in, in the back are thrown off the plane if we need extra room while it's in the air. You know? Right. right. That, that's a public good. You can't really uh, exclude anybody from landing safely. Right. Right. So, so, and what I like the tie in to this is because one of the objections I often get mostly from accountants and lawyers, by the way, is this, this notion of, of level of quality of work. Yep. 
that they're, that they're, that the quality of, of work has to be equal or, and ubiquitous and egalitarian across the entirety of the, of the, the customer base. And that's just completely ridiculous. Absolutely. Right now there are there minimum standards. Yes. We can't say, well, you're, you're, you're a, you're, you know, you're a, you're a web fair customer. So debits are not going to equal credits for you. Mm-hmm. Right. If I'm doing your financial statement, your balance sheet. No, it doesn't doesn't have to balance. Yeah, it'll be close <laughs> enough. Don't worry about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're not we're not going to say those things. But what we are going to say is that there, there, there can be this level of service that's above and beyond, you know, and you know, w- one example that we used over and over again is uh, say you're doing a lot of tax returns. Right. Lowest level. Hey, you know what? You're just going on extension. You're going to sit in the back of the plane. You're just going to, we're not even going to try. We're not even going to try to get your return done before, you know, by, by April 15th. We're not going to try. Which is like an airline putting you on standby and saying, Hey, we'll fly you when we have the capacity, but it's Mm -hmm. our decision. Right. And you might not get to pick the airport you're going out of, right? Some, some, at some fair level, you, you can't do that. You have to go out of the airport maybe that they want you to go out of. So it's right. just, it's, it's discriminating based on levels of service, not at all technical quality. And I did want to ask you about how project managers view capacity, Ed, because I know you probably even have dip, some definitional differences with this, but um, just on this, and I always get just scorn when I suggest this, but I think that optimal capacity is probably around 60%. You should not have more than 60% of your maximum capacity at any one given time. And boy, when I say that, it gets firm, especially the owners. And yeah. <laughs> they just look at you like you're nuts. Well, think about it. I mean, if you've, if you've always have to have spare capacity to service that 10% or maybe 20% in the front of your plane, you can't be anywhere near 190, maybe even 80% of capacity, but so many firms try and drive their utilization above 90%. And I think that's confusing being busy with being profitable. To- totally agree. You know, and I, and I think that there's a, there's a huge problem in that. It, and look, yeah, I think people can quibble about the percentage. So you say, what did you say? 60, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. When someone says 70, are you going to complain? No, you might even, might even let them go up to 80, but nothing beyond that. Yeah. Cause right. I, and, and I get this from you and I love it. It's a great way to drive this point home. But you know, if you've got a toothache, last thing you want to hear from your dentist is that he can't see you for a week or two. He's, <laughs> I'm full. You know, they, he or she has to have capacity to always be able to bring emergency cases in and you know this is why i think the subscription model would make people think about this even more yeah no i think i think this completely ties into subscription and we'll 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 get to that at the at perhaps our our third or fourth segment but uh, i can't believe it ron as always flying flying by and we're against our next break I want to remind you that you get in Get look at our our page, which is at thesoulofenterprise.com, where you can see show notes, upcoming shows, previews to upcoming shows, as well as our calendar events and the archive page, where you can go back and listen to now all 249 shows that have, we have done previously. But right now, a word from our sponsor. The future of online TV is here. 
you exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are talking the adaptive capacity model here on the Soul of Enterprise. And Ron, you you reminded me when you were talking about that that last story about your the, the dentist, right? And how you want your dentist to have reserve capacity if you have a toothache, which is completely true, right? Right. Um, I, I was, you reminded me of a great story that Rory Sutherland tells, and, and we we've talked about it a, cu- a couple times. But Rory is going to be back on the show. He was one of our first guests five years ago, and. Uh, we are having him back. Uh, August 2nd is the show. You want to mark your calendars for that. You definitely want to listen to that show live if you can. Uh, and uh, for sure, uh, be on the Patreon site by then because we're going to get a, a full bonus hour with Rory afterwards, which we're really, really excited about. So if you're not a member of Patreon, go out and do that right now. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash T-S-O-E. Well, we, we think it will be a full hour, Ed. But well, it could be longer. Be in, he, yeah, I know. He will be in London. It'll be like 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock by that point. I think, his he's, time. I think he's just getting warmed up, though, Ron. I, I, I know. He is a night owl. So we're kind of banking <laughs> on the fact that he, he might keep us all up all night. That's true. It's possible. It's possible. So I'm looking forward to that. Anyway, he tells this great story. Um, and I think it was, I think we had him tell it on our previous show. I'll have to go listen to it, but, um, it's, it's in one of his, his videos. I think it's the zeitgeist talk about a peacock's tail being an example of a, a gratuitous display of waste. Yes. Right. That what, what, and it, I, you know, I, I'm so, I think he says, I'm, I, it's, I'm so ridiculous. I can carry this, ri- carry this ridiculous thing on my back and still function as a living organism. Right. right. And it, it's the equivalent of of, uh, you know, somebody having a sports car in London. Right. Which you can't drive real fast in London, no matter what. But but if 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 and he, he says kind of if women if women were attracted to just to expensive cars, they would they would, you know, chase around truck drivers. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> the problem is the truck has a utilitarian purpose where the sports right. car demonstrates something else. So. Right. It demonstrates a complete this waste, right? It, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an intentional display of waste. And in a sense, we want that from our professionals, right? That's, this is why lawyers signal with nice offices. And it's why banks have these huge vaults with the big lock on the door. I mean, we've made advances in metallurgy. You know, this isn't necessary, but mm -hmm. but it, there's that psychological comfort when you see that massive lock and that big steel vault and, you know, a nice mm -hmm. big bank with pillars. That's all psychological. Mm -hmm. And it's a gratuitous display of waste. And you, in, yeah. effect, in effect, you want your professional to be so good that and and you know price customers accordingly so that they have that excessive capacity for you absolutely right? yep so no. talk to me or talk to us about how project managers view capacity because one of the things i find fascinating about project managers is they have to project capacity into the future so how do they look at it yeah, and this is an interesting question, and this is often comes up in in my conversation about my my issues list, which we did a show on a number of years ago. Right, um, and and I think th th and it gets confusing because I think there's a lot of it, this sometimes smells like a timesheet. Right, right, but it's not because it's really again your timesheets in advance, yeah. right? And just as a quick reminder, project managers look at time in two different ways and from a capacity standpoint um they they look they look at yes they look at the the um dur the duration which is when does it need to be done by right yeah. and, but they also do look at the effort right which is how long is this going to take in 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 terms of the, the number of times it's going you know it's going to take you going forward and what I think is what I think is important for professionals to do is always have a notion in the back of your mind, it projected forward. Okay, how long do I think this is going to take me to do? I, there, I have no problem with that. I just don't think it makes any sense to retrospectively measure it after it right. happens because there's nothing you can do about it. Right, tie it back to actual. And yeah. and if you spend the time or waste the time doing that, you won't. You also won't learn anything. That's correct. That's correct. So, but, but, but on a go forward basis, project managers do try to manage capacity of future work, right? And one of the really ways that this plays into the adaptive capacity model, especially when you've, you've got a, an engagement where the customer has a large amount of input and maybe even effort that they're going to do to make the project work, right? Yeah. Is to let them know that, that, at you, since you you are you are managing multiple projects across multiple customers, right? That there's 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 time windows when you're going to be available and not, and that if they don't get their work done on the, at their when they say they're going to, they might lose their window, right? right? And 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 we're not going to be able to be done by the end of September if you if you don't get this stuff done by the end of August. And not because we don't have capacity, but because our capacity has shifted to other customers that we have told we're going to do some work on. Sure. Right? Yep. And we might have to delay you to say, okay, no, we're not. Okay, once you miss your September window, it's going to be December or even January before we get this done because we've already committed to this work. Unless, of course, you can potentially look at a, at a, a price change or, or and this is where a change request would come into play. Sure. 
or I've even heard you talk about, and I think this is a great idea that if, if you have a job that comes in really rushed, it's maybe high value, there's a lot of opportunity there that you actually pay some customers to be able to delay their work. That's right. That's and right. I Which think is that the, makes sense. Yeah. It's the, it's, it's the bribing, as you said earlier, bribing people off the back of the plane. Right. Right. Um, and what you can even say is, Hey, Hey, listen to, so, you know, you have a, a customer come in, rush job, rush situation, but you're in the middle of doing work for another customer, but it's clearly not as big a priority from your perspective. What you can go to that, that other customer and say, Hey, listen, sorry, we, we have another customer come in with your permission. Is it okay? If we're going to push you from this month to next month. However, here's a check for $5,000. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> a reverse and, auction. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Here's a check for $5,000. Now you may have just brought somebody in with this rest job on say, a, you know, a, a $20,000 or $100,000 engagement. Right. So paying 5% of it to your other customer, why the heck not? Right. They probably love you. And, and it probably means that you're running close to capacity. And mm-hmm. well, I just think if you would have had some of capacity in reserve where you could have done right. that allocation without having to bribe somebody, but it, you know, it happens. It happens. Yeah, sure. It happens. You know, you're never going to get this, never going to get this exactly right. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it, this again is conceptual. And I think an important point to make as we talk further about this is you you can definitely take this analogy too far. <laughs> oh, you can. <laughs> and, and, and when we first started doing this, we did, I mean, Dan would talk about his firm, how he views his individual professionals as different size planes. Like maybe if they're a first year, you know, they're a little, you know, Cessna, Cessna or, or even puddle jumper, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and as they move up, you know, they get to jet status or whatever. And yeah, you can think about it that way, but I, I do think you can just overanalyze this to death. But one of the things I, I really like about this way of looking at things and, and this took me a while to figure this out, Ed, but it, it was, you know, we're so competitive as firms. We want every customer, right? We want to win every job, every dollar. We don't want to turn anybody away. Um, and if you have this mindset, all of a sudden, when you don't get a job, you don't look at it as lost revenue. You look at it as now I have spare capacity, or reserve capacity that I'll be able to allocate to, to higher value offerings, which could be a better class of customer in the future or doing more for our existing customers, like your toothache best customer, you know, right? fitting them right in. And, and I think that's liberating not to have to win every single, because we take it personally. I mean, professionals don't get the job. We take it. It's a rejection of us. We don't view it as a rejection of the firm or we take it personally. And this, I think, can liberate you from that when you realize now I have spare capacity. Yeah, no, it's a great, great way to think about it. So I want to ask you, Ron, about a couple of of other ways of thinking about this. And, you know, if it is this plane and and probably yet this is this is probably another way to overthink this. Right. But could could you create a company where your plane is all discount or where your plane is all first class. Yeah. I, I, I don't think an airline can do it because it's kind of been proven that it can't and look at the Concorde, look at Trump 
airlines that was i think it was business class they tried to do the whole plane was business class and it failed miserably yeah, well, I think the the first the, the first class model. I totally agree with you. You can't you can't be all first class, which I think is really interesting to 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 play that through because by definition, somebody's got to walk to the back of the plane no matter what. Well, this is so wonkish, Ed. But I know we've met, probably mentioned this before. But when you really look at the economics of airlines, it's not the first class passenger subsidizing coach. It's actually the other way around. <laughs> it's the coach customers that are subsidizing the people in the front because the only way that airlines can afford to fly those big jets around is to have a ton of people in mm-hmm. the back of the plane. And that way they can allocate some of that capacity to the, now that's not a revenue issue, but it is a, it's, it's a capacity issue. Yep. Yep. So, so but what do you think about the all discount approach? I, I do th- I, look. I, I do think it's possible. I, I think it's. Uh, I mean, H and R Block uh, would be. I think kind of an all discount, even though they have different tiers. I mean, even Southwest has different tiers, right? Well, if, Southwest. If, I think if you go on, you can get seven prices for the same yeah. flight. And and the range, <laughs> the percent right now. Yeah, it might be from twenty seven to ninety nine dollars or whatever. Right? Not a not a big dollar spread, but it's an enormous percentage spread that you can get with a, even just a Southwest ticket. And that is a, you know, a discount airline for everybody. So yeah, I do think the model is incredibly viable as I think concierge doctor met it, you know, is a viable model. And that's basically just all first class. Boy, you talk about spare capacity. You walk into a concierge doctor's office, they shut the door and lock it behind you. Mm-hmm. You could be the only person in there. Yep. I mean, that you talk about capacity, that's and that's guaranteed. Yeah, amazing stuff, right? That, 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 and that, that model, I think, is just, just in its infancy. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's got a lot of legs, but I guess it kind of goes back to you know the three macro pricing strategies. Are you going to adopt a skim approach, a neutral approach, or a, or a you know, penetration approach? And as long yeah. as you're consistent, I, I think they're all viable in a professional firm. It's just the airlines are kind of a weird model. I, I don't know about cruise ships either. I know there's smaller cruise ships, aren't there, that that don't have these, you know, 5,000 rooms or whatever it is. They, you know, they might have a, maybe not even a thousand. And they seem to be pretty viable. Yeah. What is it? The the Viking River Cruises or whatever? Right. Supp- right. Supposed to be hot, almost all high end and right. much, much smaller because they're going up like the Danube or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I don't know if that's part of if Viking has some of the big ships as well, you know, and that's just part of their portfolio. But yeah, I think there's lots of different ways to think about it. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Great stuff. All right. Well, we're back up against our last break already, Ron. And just a couple of other reminders. I talked about Patreon earlier, but well, would love for you to give us some reviews on iTunes or any of, of your, your podcast listening preference of choice. Um, and we'll go out there and, and give us a review of the show that does a couple things. One, it lets us know what you're thinking, which, which we always love to hear from you. But more importantly, it helps other people find the show. So just jump out, you know, put it, put it on pause right now. If you're listening to this as a podcast, quick, give us a, a review, a couple sentences would be great, but you know, click, click the, the like button or the five star button as well. Uh, we'd love to, and we love to hear from you. So, but right now a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have, but have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about the adaptive capacity model. And Ed, you mentioned Rory Sutherland's going to be on on August 2nd. And I just wanted to point out that his new book, which is what we will be talking to him about, is called Alchemy. And it's just a rip-roaring read, isn't it? Oh my gosh! It, it it I mean, not only is it a is it a great book uh, and a great business book, and you learn so much by reading it. It also is laugh out loud funny. Um, I, I finished it up on on the flight out to vacation last week, and my family was like, "What's wrong with you, Dad?" What? Yeah, Dad's <laughs> going crazy. Dad, he's like just sitting in his seat, uncontrollable laughter. It's. <laughs> Oh, well, dad's going to the neutral zone. What do you expect? Yeah, there you <laughs> go. That's supposed right, to that's be right. wigged out. <laughs> no, this is a great book. Again, it's called Alchemy, and it is just wonderful. So uh, if you want to get a sneak preview of Rory, take a look at that book, because that's, that's what we'll be talking about. And, and boy, Ed, there's not enough hours in the day to cover everything he talks about. Talk about a fire hose of ideas. Oh, every page. Every yeah. page. Great stuff. Sure. So, we, you know, I think uh, Greg on Twitter has posted our adaptive capacity model, and we'll, we will post it back up on the show notes to this episode as well. But if you kind of look at that, Ed, Dan had a big, Dan Morris had a big, um, you know, uh, model of this made. We used to roll like a banner, right? Mm-hmm. Like like a trade show banner. Right. Oh, really? I don't yeah. think I've ever seen that. Okay. I, I'm staring at it. It's here in my office in one of these big architectural tubes. <laughs> and it was great because we used to do this program, this two-day program. We called it a, a retreat. It was for partners. And we would put this thing up on the wall. And we didn't say anything about it. And this kind of relates to your comment about you can overthink this. People would walk in. Um, and just, you know, get ready for class, get coffee or whatever, be eating their breakfast. And they'd stare at this massive thing on the wall. And 
I can't tell you how many times we heard, oh my God, I looked at that and it just all started to make sense. And you didn't talk about it? We didn't mention it at all. It was just <laughs> there. And I, so many people said to us, well, now they knew the content of the program they had signed up for. We're going to talk about pricing. We're going to talk about you know the, all these different things. But when they saw that, and I think what does it is on that model, there's percentages for each class. Uh, so like first class, business class is you know, 15 or five to eight percent business class is 15 to 24 full fare coach is 30 to 50. And then the back is somewhere between, you know, 25 and 55%. And th those are just rough numbers, but it, it, it just gets you thinking right off, right out of the bat. Yeah. I've only got so much capacity and how am I going to allocate it between these different types of customers? And so I think it's a very intuitive model. It is an intuitive model and, and, and the visual is is great on it. And like you said, you know, the, the notion of sliding that graphic across to somebody and asking them where they want to sit. And I, I'm just reminded, Ron, tell tell the story of the other thing that Dan has done with this. And we should have had Dan on the show here for as many times as we were talking about him. <laughs> um, and he'll probably be upset that we didn't have him on. Uh, but talk talk a little bit about what he does with what, what he calls, I think, his co-pilot seat or jump seat. Oh, yeah. He's got, you know, Dan is, I call him the Henry Kissinger of like, you know, the accounting world, but he's one of these guys who's, who literally is paid big bucks just to access his brain, whether or not he does any work. So he is truly selling a brain, not, not a pair of hands, because he's not really doing that much work in terms of the, you know, input and that type of thing. And, you know, sometimes he has a customer that, that has is working on a hot deal. And some of these deals are long-term. They may go six months, a year, whatever. And hey, you know, if he's got capacity, he'll put you in the jump seat, you know, that you sit up there with the pilots uh, and you have like real-time access almost. You know, it's going to cost a fortune and he's only got room for one. But I, I can't think of a time in the last few years where he didn't have somebody sitting in that jump seat. And he will do absolutely anything for yep. that. He's that. dropped things. He's he's dropped uh, prior engagements to meet somebody at an airport lounge, you know, for a meeting at the drop of a hat. I mean, you just kind of have to do what's necessary. So he's got to think about his personal capacity all the time. And you, you couldn't have, I mean, I think we all kind of agree that it'd be really, really difficult to have more than five or 10% of your capacity allocated to first class customers because of the level of service that they're probably going to be demanding from you. And, and that is one of the things that is, I, I love about this model is that it, it, it dissuades people from this notion that we, we give, we give first class service to everybody. Everybody. You can't, right? It's impossible. Right. It is impossible. And even, even hotels that are five-star hotels, it's, you know, the Ritz-Carlton and the JW Marriott's, right? All of the, these places, they're still presidential suites, right? There's still, there's, there's still larger rooms. You know, they, they, they give options within that top tier. So it's, it, it's, it, they use this model in, inside a, a first-class overall experience offering. Right. So I think that's the other thing that you have to think about is no matter what 
level of service that you want to be known for, you're still going to carve out extraordinary experiences for potentially extraordinary customers. Right. And that customer segmentation is, is I think kind of goes, goes back to the subscription model. You know, I don't know what the, what the tiers are for Netflix, but I would imagine that if you're top tier Netflix subscriber, I don't know, maybe do they make more content available? Is it faster? I gotta tell you, I, gotta tell you, I think Netflix only has one choice. I'm going to, I'm going to look that I, up right now as we're I, talking. Uh, look it up. I think it's tiered. I've, I've heard okay. it. I know, I know Amazon is just one choice, right? There's now, now I know there's discount for, you know, different economic groups or whatever for prime, but I think Netflix does offer options. Right. Well, it says plans start. Yeah. I think they, they do have, they do have something in there. I'd have to, I'd have to look at the details, but. Right. Don't, I don't know what, what they, what, what they're differentiating based upon, but it'd be interesting, but it makes you think about that from a portfolio standpoint. Right. Um, as well. But, um, the, the other thing, Ed, is I, you know, I, I was reading something I had written and sometimes I go back and look at stuff I, I wrote and say, wow, why, why did I completely forget about this? But, <laughs> and, and I mentioned this before, but I'll just reiterate this because I think this is so important. You know, the conventional wisdom is you have to be at maximum capacity to raise prices. But, but since when do you have to be fully booked to demand a premium price? Right. Don't confuse working harder supply side capacity with working smarter which is demand side pricing, which, you know, one of the great illustrations of this is Uber, not just the airlines and the hotels, but Uber and their surge pricing, which everybody complains about. But uh, I noticed that people pay it all the time. Yes. And especially since what they've done now is put that up front so that you know what the price is before you get in the car. You know, I think what people complained about with the surge pricing was that it was retrospective, but oh, okay. now, it, now, now it's up front. Now it's up front. Hey, this is this is your price. Take your pick. Oh, okay. Is this a note from our producer, Josh? Netflix is tiered for how many TVs can be watching and if you still get physical media. Ah, okay. There you go. Okay. Cool. Okay. Thanks, Josh. I didn't realize that. That 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 makes sense. How many devices or how many TVs could be hooked up? That that does make sense. Yeah, sure does. Sure does. Thanks, Josh. Good job. Yeah. So so Ed, what else? Um the other the other comment we get around this model too, and that we don't talk about enough, but just how this reduces the pressure on your team members. Yeah, you know, it it allows you to do something like twenty percent time, like Google or something like that, and just not run everybody like they're machines. These are knowledge workers. They need recharge time. They need downtime. They need CPE time. You know, they need all sorts of things that you just can't do if you're, if you're grinding them at 90% capacity. That's why I don't think the big problem in professions is burnout. I think it's rust out. Great point. Yeah. Good stuff. Ron, this has been, been fascinating. I, I, I love this topic. It's always something that gets a lot of conversation going whenever we present it and glad we finally decided to do a show on it. I can't believe after five years we, had, we hadn't <laughs> talked about this specifically. We, yeah, we've talked around it and we brought it up, but n never devoted a whole show to it. So Ed, what's on store for next week? You are not going to want to miss next week's show. I'm very excited to talk about this. We're going we're, we're gonna to blow people away. This name of the show is Inflexus Reciproci Falsum. And you're not going to want to, we, we are like, this is going to be like the, the weather in, in Hawaii. That's how great it's going to be. Awesome. I'll get my Latin dictionary out. I'll see you in 167 <laughs> hours. 
This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Please join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please do listen to us and visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.